the rest of you can turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. The end of the Bible, if you will. Uh, we're starting a series on Revelation, just kind of going through uh, uh, the book. And uh, I was thinking about why I was doing it. One is because I think in, in today's world, knowing what's coming is helpful, as well as um, knowing where we've come from is helpful as well. And the, the, the revelation comes to us kind of as the end of the canon, that is this, the end of the revelation of God. Uh, the, in the process of kind of um, this week, I, we took uh, our middle daughter to, to college for the first time. We, it's kind of weird because it's the first daughter we've taken to college, you know what I mean? It's like the first time we've driven up there to somewhere. And uh, as you're dropping her off and then, uh, le- you know, and then leaving, you, there's certain things you want her to know, right? Because you're not going to see her for a while. You, you're, um, you're concerned that, that she can um, be okay in the, in the meantime. And of course, one of the key things you want to let her know is that you love her, right? That you you uh, delight in her, that you're proud of her, um, but the other thing you're kind of wanting to let her know is in some ways is, okay, uh, this is what we're going to be doing in the meantime. This is, this is how, this is the hope you have, you know, just get through one year and we'll see where you're at. You know? <laughs> um, and, and, and so when we come to Revelation, uh, what, you've, what we find in Revelation is that God is giving us this, um, this end of, of his story in a sense, but it's for the purpose because he's saying, he's saying, I'm, I'm going to stop talking for a while, so to speak, and yet here's, here's my, my final message. This will sustain you through the years of silence, the years of, uh, of wondering, so to speak. And Revelation as a book, it's recognized as part of Scripture, it took a while, actually. It was written by John uh, probably in the late 90s, uh, 8095, probably somewhere around there, in 8090, somewhere in there. Uh, and and it was written to seven churches, and it didn't have, like some of the other books of Paul and other books of the Gospels, didn't have the chance to disperse when there wasn't a lot of persecution. Persecution was, obviously, John is in exile after, uh, at least traditionally speaking, they, were, they tried to kill him and it didn't work, and so they just had to put him in exile. And, and so uh, the, the circulation of this book took longer um, it wasn't recognized as scripture uh, for a longer period of time because, because of that fact and because uh, there wasn't like a central authority of people saying this is scripture and this is not. It was, scripture came as it was recognized by people to be the spirit of God speaking to us, right? Because we believe that inspiration is God breathing scripture to us as he, as he moved men to write out the word of God. And so it took longer for this to be recognized. But as, as you'll see throughout um, this book, you can't, you either got to say this is, is a fraud, it's made up, or you have to say it's scripture because it claims over and over and over to be from God, God speaking, God uh, commissioning John to write this book. And uh, that's just an important part of the story here. You, 
you wonder sometimes, why does he have to keep bringing up the fact that he's moved by the Spirit and that he's uh, operating in the Spirit and he's being told to write these things down? And it's because he wants to make sure that the people understand that this is Scripture. This is like God's last love letter to us before he stops talking for a while, before he's with us for a while, in a sense. So we still have the Holy Spirit. And if you were going to write a letter to your loved one, last one for a while, what would you include in it? How would you frame it? Because in some ways, this is not just that, that letter. It's also wrapping up the whole story of the Bible. You've got Genesis to Revelation. And as we're going to see, Revelation quotes the Old Testament or re- refers to the Old Testament so many, many times. There's these references back. Even in, we're going to see, there's just there's connections all the way back to Genesis 1, right? In Revelation 1. And it's, it's like you're trying to pull all of the, the prior things that you've told your child and told it and try to pass it on in one kind of final remembrance, so to speak, right? And sometimes you wish you could do that for your kids, like, okay, you know, <laughs> brain dump here. <laughs> Remember everything I've ever told you. <laughs> that's, worth re- that's worth remembering, which there's a lot of things that aren't worth remembering. <laughs> and, uh, and so as we get into Revelation, what we're, that's the goal here, is that we would be able to, um, to hear, to know God's plan, to have hope in the midst of the chaos in which we live. Because we do live, right, in a lot of chaos. There's a war in Ukraine. China's economy is collapsing. Uh, there's uh, questions about our own economy, right? There's, there's questions about, well, what's going on in our world? It seems like a crazy world in which to live, a crazy world in which to bring up kids. Um, there's genocides in different places. Like, what's really going on? Like, how, how can we have hope How can we think forward and have hope for the future in the midst of a world that is like today? Like, is there going to be another pandemic, right? Had more more people like, yeah, I've got COVID right now. I can't make it, you know, because things happen, right? People get sick. Like, how, in the midst of this kind of chaos with people moving around, with, with things happening, where's the hope? What's our perspective? How do we live so let's look into Revelation chapter 1, which is kind of, a, so to speak, an introduction to the book so we can understand this, in a sense, this love letter to us in order for us to be able to walk in hope in the midst of a dying world. So follow along as I read. You're going to have to turn in your Bibles. I don't have the text for the ch- whole chapter right in front of you on the screen. Um, just follow along as I read. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show his servants the things that, that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed is the, are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This is, in a sense, like a prologue to the book, right? It's kind of saying, hey, this is what the book's about, <laughs> uh, just so you know. And he's saying, ultimately, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is revealing the things that are going to soon take place to his church. And he did it through John. 
And he wants the people to hear, to, to, to hear it, to, to remember it, and to realize that the, the, the time is short from God's perspective, not necessarily from ours. So that's kind of the prologue, just explaining why, what's happening here. And then we get a greeting. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to our God, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth shall wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Here we have both a greeting and kind of a dedication to the book, right? You know, when you flip open the first pages of the book, there's a dedication, usually like to so-and-so, and you're like, I have no clue who this is. It's obviously personal to the author. Well, here... It's, it's a greeting from God, the triune God, the greeting from a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, um, and then it's dedicated to Jesus, the one who rescued us and loves us. And so he's, he's, he's trying to connect through that dedication here, the, 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 the readers and the, the authors, so to speak, through Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and man, right? And he's the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And then you see this pronouncement, if you will, like God isn't, uh, in a sense, willing to just write through John. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This pronouncement is telling us who God is. He's the first and the last, who is the eternally existing one. And he's also all-powerful, and he wants us to remember that, who he is in the midst of this letter. And then we get John's commission here. John t starts to write, in a sense, from his own perspective. It says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on an, the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And so he, he gets this commission. We hear now, here's the commission, in a sense, he's been given to write what he sees. And he's now just kind of explaining why he's writing because of that commission. It says, then I turned on the, to, to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, like one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, and with a golden sash around his chest, the, the hairs of his head were, were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze, re refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a two, sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. I don't know about you, but... And obviously, he's overwhelmed. The, the, the description here all kind of, they're, they're comparisons to things we know because what he's trying to describe is in some ways beyond his ability to describe. And he's overwhelmed by it. And of course, you see that immediately from the next verse when it says, I saw, when I saw him, I felt his feet as though dead. 
But here we have a picture of the incarnate Christ, but the glorified Christ. God in the flesh, Jesus. It says, but he put his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on the right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So we here we have both John's commission and John's commissioner, Jesus himself, the first and the last, the one who died and rose again. He has the keys, he has the authority over death and hell. And he tells, in a sense, John here what to write about, or like what's the, what's the organization for the book of Revelation? Write the things that, that you have seen, just, just the previous things. He's saying, write what you just saw. <laughs> and the things that are, the things that are, that you're going to see about the things that are happening now, and then the things that are going to take place after this. And so you have this three-part division to Revelation, chapter 1, chapters kind of 2 and 3, and then chapters 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and following. The things that they have, he has seen, the things that are, and the things that are to take place after this. And there's a, a lot here, but what you get overall is you see the, 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 in this picture of Jesus in all of his glory and his authority, you also see his care. He's walking amongst, he says, the seven lampstands, which are the seven churches. He's caring for the churches as the shepherd of his flock. He's, he's got the angels of the churches in his hand. He, his, his authority is, it means that he cares about those that are under his charge. And there's a lot here. And what we're going to see with Revelation is there's a lot of strands. And I can't pull every strand out of this chapter. So I'm going to pull one strand out. We're going to focus on it this week. And then you'll see other strands pop up as we go through more of the book. The, the strand that I want to focus on this morning is that we have hope because. Why do we have hope? What, what is going on in this chapter that gives us hope? And one of the key strands that's here is that the Trinity itself, the, the kind of the, what's going on with the Trinity, this idea that we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And what you see, first of all, in this self-revelation of God is that the Trinity is involved in the end goal of creation as well as its beginning, right? So, and this is where it kind of brings in, you know, Genesis 1 to Revelation 1, right? You, you can see in some ways, right, that, like in Genesis 1, there's, God creates the heavens and the earth, and there's the Spirit hovering over the waters in verse 2, and, and yet, but, but it's not, the Trinity is not very clear, right? It says, let us, let us make man in our image later on in the chapter, but, but it's just God acting, God acting, God acting. And here in Revelation 1, we have a much clearer picture of who God is. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit working together, involved in creation. Not just, not just at the start, we sometimes refer to that as deism, the idea that maybe God made the world and then kind of just let it exist. However, it turns out it's kind of just an experiment, my God. What's going to happen? I'm curious, you know. No. He says, I'm the beginning, I'm the alpha and the omega, and the, and the 
Greek alphabet, the alpha is A, like us, it's the beginning of the alphabet. The omega is the end of the alphabet, like the letter Z. And so he's just saying, I'm beginning to the end here, the alpha and the omega, and I'm involved not just in the beginning of creation, I'm involved in the end. And that's a, in some ways, a really comforting realization. It should be, anyway. Like, if you think about your life, and you think, okay, my parents, you know, I was born through my parents, and now I'm living my life, and I'm, like, sometimes it feels like as as kids, right, you, you kind of start your life, and then you, you leave your parents, and it's like, I can make any life I want to out here, you know. My parents aren't involved. And in some ways, that's true. In some ways, that's not true, right? And yet, here we have a God who stays involved in his creation. And it's not, it's not even traditionalism, that idea that we've just got to go back to the way things were. We've got to go back to the way things were. It's, he's saying, no, when God introduces himself for the first time, it says, to grace you in peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. It's an interesting way to describe yourself, isn't it? The one who is, who is and who was and who is to come. He's like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I exist here, I'm present, I'm, I, I'm I'm existing in this moment, but I existed back then and what was happening before, and I've got plans for the future too. I'm not just trying to take things back to the way they were. And we're going to see that here as well, that in Revelation, God is not just interested in taking us back to the Garden of Eden and trying to bring us back to the way things were. He's, he's got plans for the future as well. He's, he's got a plan for the end of creation and this also means that we're, it's not just about living our lives and just living our lives for now or living our lives for what we can accumulate in this life. Because if God is the eternally existing one, then it's about a relationship with him. It's knowing him. And it's not just what we can accumulate in, these, in this life's. Whether it's how much I can get out of my life, or whether it's like, what can I return to the past. It seems like all human philosophy depends on our ability to make life into what we want it to be. Do you feel like that sometimes? Like this pressure, like when you're interacting with people, whether it's maybe at the university or at work, or even at home sometimes. This kind of this pressure like, well, what are you going to make with your life? What are you going to do with it? Like, if you don't make something of your life, then... You're flawed. You're weak. You're an idiot. But God does not operate that way. And that's part of the, the picture of the tr- Trinity here is he, he doesn't operate like, okay, Jesus, go do your thing, and I'll go do my thing, and we'll see what happens. No, the Trinity works intricately with each other to accomplish something together. And, and here we have this, this, this self declaration here, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come. Again, he repeats that, the Almighty. I'm involved here. And it, and it basically ties both the end of creation and the beginning of creation together. It's like you can't say, okay, God's in control of the end without also saying God's in control at the beginning. And you can't say God is in control at the beginning without also saying God is in control at the end. 
Like he's involved in the whole thing. And that's very significant. You cannot get outside of his grace. You cannot have your own plan and do your own thing and not run up against the God who's doing his thing. And it means, therefore, that that God is involved, but it also means that God is dynamically involved with one another, and the Trinity is dynamically involved with one another in ruling our world. Notice again here, right? It says, the God who is and who was and who is to come, referring to the Father. And in, in, in Scripture here, the Father is emphasized as always existing, all-powerful and involved. And it's out of the love of God. We know this verse, right? John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God is involved and he's eternally existing because he cares for his creation. He cares for us. Another verse that just talks about that just dynamic involvement of the Trinity with each other, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the end of 2 Corinthians, where Paul writes, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Here we have three, three in one working together. And what's emphasized about the Father, God the Father, his love. He's involved, he cares, he's in charge because he loves us. And especially, in a sense, as we move into this period after Revelation where we don't have active revelation from God, one of the things God wants to emphasize is that he loves us. He's not giving that up. He's still involved, even if he's silent. He still cares for us. The love of God. Not only that, but then he talks about the Spirit. And the, the Spirit here is emphasized as actively accomplishing God's will and rule on the earth. And at the same time, it's, it's a confusing reference, right? It says, from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Well, and this, this ties in this idea here of just he's pulling out of the Old Testament, and especially Zechariah, okay? In Zechariah chapter 4, there's this vision that Zechariah is having as a prophet, just like John is in this current scenario. And God turns to to Zechariah and says, what do you see? And, he, and Zechariah responds, chapter, chapter 4, verse 2 here, I see and behold a lampstand of all of gold with a bowl and the top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on, on, on the top of it. And if, you, if you've seen a menorah, a Jewish menorah, you, you have the idea behind it, right? Three, uh, three arms on each side with the center, the center um, kind of one as well. So you have seven candles across the top. And, and, he, and, and Zechariah is saying, this is what I see. Uh, I see the lampstand, and I see the lamps on the lampstand. And he goes on and says, and there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and one on its left. And there, the olive tree is basically feeding oil, in a sense, into the, to, to the lamp to keep it going. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? He's saying, so I'm seeing it. I know what it is, but what does it mean? Is right. What is, he, what is my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, I don't. Okay, okay, we get the point. He doesn't know. 
Then he said to, to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And you say, well, that's not answering the question. And yet he is answering the question because he's saying, look, this is about what I'm doing in the world ultimately, not what you can see. It's just like, it's not by the, the might of human might that's going to restore things. Zechariah, in this case, he's talking, looking forward to the temple being restored. He's like, that's not how it's going to happen. It's not by power, political power, that this is going to be accomplished. But by my spirit, the Holy Spirit is actively involved in accomplishing God's rule on the earth. Which reminds you, again, of Genesis 1, verse 2. In the creation event, what does it say? The spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In that chaos in a sense of early creation, the Holy Spirit is there, active, ready to move and create order out of chaos, to establish God's rule in the universe. A, a few verses later, he says this in verse 10, for whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. And there you get, again, this picture of seven spirits, seven eyes, and you'll see that reference later on in the book here, which is a reference, again, to the Spirit of God actively involved in the rule of the world. Like, it's, it, if, if God is kind of overall charge, he knows the plan, and he, he, he's in charge, the Spirit is the one that's getting into the details. He's the one who's acting out the plan. He's empowering the plan. He's making it happen. He's the one who, who creatively takes chaos and turns it into order. And makes beautiful things out of chaos. And in fact, Revelation in some ways is, is the Holy Spirit working in John, helping John to see things and to write things down well so that we have what we have in Scripture. He's taking chaos and turning it into something beautiful, even if it's hard to understand at times. And if you look at your life and you say, but I can't make sense of what's happening. I don't understand what the plan is. I don't understand how it's all going to pan out. I see a lot of chaos rather than see a lot of beauty. You have to remember that the Spirit is involved in the, the rule of God's world, and He knows how to take chaos and turn it into beauty. You ever seen, we've got a, a, a bird feeders are fun to have around your house, aren't they? There's just so many birds that come to bird feeders. We had, we had one bird about a month ago. It, it was the silliest thing. Like, it was a, a female cardinal. So not the, the, the males are the ones that are bright red, right? The females have red, but they got brown in them, right? And uh, the female cardinal, she, she, was, she would go to the bird feeder, but then she would, that she would go over and, and land on the window on the front of our Suburban, like, so the front driver's side window, where the, the mirror, you know, the mirror sticks out, right, so you can see out, and it would, she would look at herself in the mirror, and then she'd try to fly into the mirror, and that wouldn't work, so she'd land on top, you know, <laughs> of the mirror, and then she'd fly back to the, to the side of, of, the, of, the, of the window and look at herself in the mirror, and then fly back, and it's just, she's, like, doing this, and she'd do it for hours, I mean, literally, and not just for one day, I mean, it was literally at least a week long, we were just, like, watching this female cardinal look at herself in the mirror you know it's like what is going on here this is crazy in a sense right but god just creates so many intricately beautiful interesting different things that happen and how is that you say well i can't make sense of the chaos of my life god 
God still does. He knows how to do it way better than you do. He's still involved. And that's one of the things that God wants you to understand, that in the midst of the chaos of this world, he's still involved. He still knows how to make beauty out of chaos. And he's, he's actively doing that even right now. Not only that, but you see the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says, And from Jesus Christ, the greeting that we have, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Here we see the third person of the Godhead, the Son of God, described as a faithful witness. What is he a faithful witness to? To who God is. He came to this earth, and he lived a perfect life to he, and, he, and he told us what he did. You see, that, you see that in the Gospel of John and other places where he says, I came to witness to who the Father is. <laughs> I want you to know who God is. That's why I'm here. That's why I, I'm living. That's why I'm going to die. Why? So you can understand who God is. He's a faithful witness to who God is. Also, it says that he's the firstborn of the dead. No, firstborn can either refer to the one who inherits or the one who who has it happened to it first, in a sense. And I think here he's talking about mostly inheritance. It's that idea of, in, I'm going to inherit, I'm going to conquer it. He's the first one who conquered death, who rose from the grave and lives eternally. And he's the one who inherits all of those to whom that will happen to. You see, you see when he's, we're looking at our world and we see all the death and destruction that are around us, we have as part of the Trinity ruling us, taking care of us, one who has conquered death. We do not have to fear death because he has conquered it. Nor, it says here, do we have to fear political power. It says he's also the ruler of the kings on the earth. And you can say, well, I don't see that in action now, but he's still, he's there. He's in, we're going to see how it plays out in this book how he takes control and rescues. And so we see here three, this trinity working together. And it's a mystery how it all works, okay? It's, it's a mystery. It's, it's something that from the beginning the church has struggled with because we, we understood, we believe, just like the Jews believe, that God is one. There's one God. And yet at the same time, we see revealed to us three persons of the Godhead working together. And the church struggled with this, and, and there was different, different teachings that were said, no, that's not quite right, that's not quite right. And, and a bunch of uh, pastors got together at a certain point, and they decided, you know what, we're going we're gonna to hash this out and come to agreement. And this is, it's, it's referred to as the Athanasius Creed, um, where they said, this is what we agree on, this is what it means. And I just want to read with you the Athanasius Creed so you can get a sense for what is being affirmed by the idea of the Trinity ruling us. Here it says, so this is the start of the creed. It says, whoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith. And that's not referring to the Catholic church. It's referring to the Catholic as in universal faith. So this is, they're saying this is what is all agreed by all Christians. We agree on this is what we're talking about. Which faith, unless everyone uh, do keep whole and undefiled, without doubt he shall perish everlastingly. And the Catholic faith is, faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence. So they're saying we're not going to differentiate between the three persons of the Godhead, but they're, they're all one God. 
For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Ghost, of the Spirit, but the Godhead of the, of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal, such as the Father is, such as the Son, and such as the Holy Spirit. He's saying here that they're all co-eternal, they're co-equal, they have all the same characteristics of God. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, and the Holy Spirit uncreated, the Father unlimited, the Son unlimited, and the Holy Spirit unlimited, the Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Spirit eternal as well. And so they're saying these are the, these are the things we affirm about all three persons of the, and yet they are not three eternals, but one eternal, as also there are not three uncreated, nor three in infinities, three infinites, but one uncreated and one infinite. And so likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, and the Holy Spirit almighty, and yet they are not three almighties, but one almighty. How, how, how does that work? I, well, they're not saying how it works. They're just affirming what the Bible teaches. Does that make sense? Um, so the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, and yet they are not three gods, but one God. So likewise, the Father is Lord, the Son Lord, and the Holy Spirit Lord, and yet not three lords, but one Lord. For like as we are compelled by the Christian verity of the Christian truth, as they're saying, this is what we com are compelled to believe, to acknowledge every person by himself to be God and Lord, that is every person of the Godhead. So are we, are we forbidden by the Catholic, again, the universal belief of Christians to say there are three gods or three lords. They're saying, we're not, we're not saying that either. And say, well, well, then what are you saying? We're saying, well, we're saying this. This is what we're saying. Three and one and one and three. The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Son is of the Father alone, not made nor created, but begotten. The, the Holy Ghost is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeding. Again, this just describes what the, the text of Scripture says about the Trinity. So there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Ghost, not three Holy Ghosts. And in this Trinity, none is before or after another. None is greater or less than another, but the whole three persons are co-eternal and co-equal, so that in all areas, as aforesaid, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. He, therefore, that will be saved, let him think thus of the Trinity. So that's a, that's a meaty statement, and I would encourage you to go back and look at it if you're curious and want to study it more, but the point is here is that this, is, this, this Trinity is what is emphasized in Revelation over and over and over again. The Father and the Son and the Spirit working together to rule the world, to care for the world, and ultimately to, to re redeem the world and bring it back. Because that's the, the kind of the next point here is that the Trinity remade us into his kingdom and will judge those who reject his rule. Notice again what it says. To him who loves us, verse, verse 6, and freed us from from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to our God and Father, priests to his God and Father. So this is what Jesus has done for us. He loves us, he's freed us from our sins and the consequences of those sins, death, by his death on our behalf, and made us a kingdom. And in sense, some senses here, you're, getting, you're going all the way back to Genesis 1 again. What did God do? He said, let us make man in our image. The idea of an image in the, the, those ancient contexts was the idea of the representative of rule. You, 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 like you, you put the limits of your rule by putting images you know, to show where, where your rule extended to. And it's like God is saying in Genesis 1, I'm making human beings to, to show that I rule the world and how I rule the world by, by putting them in charge of the earth. 
But then what, what happened? Genesis 3 says we rejected God's rule. We said, we don't want you to rule over us. We want to rule over ourselves. And Adam and Eve chose to go their own way and make their own kingdom, in a sense. And here in, in Revelation is the culmination of God remaking us into his kingdom. And we get a better sense of what we're supposed to be. We're not just images of God, but where it says here, he says, we made us a kingdom, priests who are his God and Father. We're, we're, we're these priestly kings, if you will. We're, we're, we're designed not to just rule in our own might, with our own plans, with our own ideas. We're, we're to rule in order to reveal who God is. To show the truth and speak the truth about who God is. And that's, that's what we're called to do. We're made into this kind of kingdom. And it ends to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And at the same time as he's doing that, it says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. So we here have also God, God is remaking us into his kingdom, but he's going to judge those who reject his rule, symbolized by those who have pierced him. And of course, we could say ourselves, well, I was like that. I, I, and this is the challenge for all human beings is, there, there's a side of us, in a sense, that says, I don't, I don't want God's rule. I want to do my own thing. Like, wh why should I have to pay attention to someone who created me? Why can't I do my own thing? Why can't I have my own way, have my own stuff, have my own future, my own desires, and, and do my own thing? Why can't I do that? But we... Rather than make things, we destroy things, right? Because we don't know, once we're disconnected from the God who makes things and makes beautiful things, who can turn chaos into beauty, when we're disconnected from him, we don't have anything that's ours alone because we were made by him. And when we reject him and cut off his rule, all we can do is try to take, uh, C.S. Lewis made this analogy, so to speak. He's like, it's, it's like, we were told, hey, let's, you, know, you want to notice something beautiful? Let's go, go to the ocean and, and just enjoy the beach and the water and have some fun. And instead, what we decided to do is say, no, 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 I don't want to go to the beach. I'm just going to sit here, pour a little water on the ground and make some mud pies in the dirt. Yesterday, I had the, the no, we were just helping my neighbors out a little bit. They, they wanted to just take, there's a sump pump that was dumping in the ditch, and they, it was creating a lot of water problems, and so uh, we were just digging out a trench so we could get, clean it up and make it dry again, and, and you know, mud is, it's, it's, especially Iowa mud, right? You understand this, right? That's just, it's just, it clumps together. It's, it's dirty. It just makes, it, it's like, okay, but it's not beautiful, I'm sorry if you're a soil major here or whatever. Uh, it, it does what it's supposed to do, but I don't consider it beautiful. I, 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 a beach trip, that, that's beautiful, okay? But, but what do we do? We say about our lives, I want my own thing, my own stuff, and all we're making is mud pies. When God's like, I got something so much better. And we're challenged to realize that we have to choose. Do we have to accept his rule? 
understand what God did for us in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, that we want his rule in our lives? Or are we going to choose our mud pies? And if we do, God says, there's judgment waiting. You say, well, why is that? Well, part of it is because have you, have, you ever, have you ever had someone you loved hurt? Like someone did evil to them? When that happens, don't you want them punished? You want them stopped? You want them, in a sense, cut off? Like, get out of here. And so God it looks at the ones he loves and he sees others hurting them and, and, and destroying them. And he's like, I'm going to stop this. I'm going to stop the evil that's happening by people hating one another and destroying one another and hurting one another. If you don't accept my rule and, and establish love and peace and joy in the world, then judgment is coming. Psalm 2 puts it this way. I'll come back to that. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my, uh, my king on Zion, my holy hill. This is God's plan. He's like, I'm not going to put up with people who will destroy one another to establish their own rule. I want to set my king and rule my world in peace. You know, human beings are, it's hard for us to understand this. This is where I, I referenced uh, Notre Dame Cathedral last week. And here's a picture of Notre Dame Cathedral. And it was burned a few years ago, burned down. And they're, they're rebuilding it, but they're rebuilding it exactly like it was before. And I don't really have a problem with that, per se. Okay, you know, I'm, I'm fine. That's, that's not what I'm pulling. What, I, what I'm pointing out a lot of times is it's hard for us, if we see something like this, it's hard for us to imagine anything better. It's like, no, it's, that's the cathedral. Like, like why? Like that's, it's beautiful. It's great. Why would you make anything better? But Here's, here's the beauty of what God's doing. He's not taking us back to the Garden of Eden. He's not saying, oh, well, you messed it up. Let's start again. We'll go back to the Garden of Eden and start there and try to make this work again. He's like, no, I've got, like, you can't imagine it. You, you can't figure it out. But I have something better in mind than just going back there. And the whole point of the, everything I've been doing up to this point is not to go back to the Garden of Eden is to go forward to something that's better, the new heavens and the new earth. And we don't know exactly what that is, but we'll, when we get to there in Revelation, we'll talk about it some. But, but the point is, is that, is that it's, it's better. Why? Because, again, God can make beauty out of chaos. More beauty, even when it's messed up. And so, the, kind of the question in, in, is just, what do you hope in? What are you hoping in? Maybe you're hoping in your ability to have a good life. You know, they, I, I ran across a quote, and I think it applies. Like, one of the things about homesickness for college students sometimes is their fear of missing out as to what is happening at home, right? Like, they leave home, and they wonder, well, what, what, what am I missing? You know, all the fun stuff that the kids, you know, the, my brothers and sisters are doing at home. I can't have that anymore. And, and someone was commenting, you know what? 
you get into your 30s and you realize uh, the, the fear of missing out is, is, is a lot less. In fact, actually, you could re- re- flip it around to JOMO, the joy of missing out. You know, just like, I don't need all that stuff. You know what I mean? I'm just fine. And, and in the process, God is, what God is telling us is not, oh, man, don't you wish you were back in the Garden of Eden? Or if you want to pick any time in history, like, don't you wish you could go back to that time in history? He's like, no, there's something better planned. Why? Because I'm in charge. I, I was involved in the end of creation, and I'm involved, I'm at the beginning of creation, and now I'm involved in the end of creation. And just as you couldn't imagine what I could do with nothing at the beginning of creation, now you really can't imagine what I can do at the end. The question is, will you trust in that? Will you hope in that? Or are you going to hope in your ability to, to not miss out on whatever you can get out of this life? Or what you can accumulate in this life? Or how much fun you can have? Or how much things you can avoid, the, the pains you can avoid in life? What if God is doing something so much grander than you could ask or imagine? Because that's what he promises to do. So what are you hoping in? What are you living for? And he, he's saying here at the end, just like I would tell my daughter, like, you know what? There's something grander at the end. <laughs> I love you, but don't stay right here. Keep looking forward. And so, so to us, as we live in the midst of chaos and we'll get into all the things that are going on even right now, God is saying to you, I love you, but keep looking forward. Don't quit. Keep your eyes on what Jesus is going to do. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can hope in you. That you, as the triune God, the God who was and who is and who is to come, the God who makes beauty out of chaos, the God who rescued us from sin and death, conquering death and conquering all political powers on the earth in the process, is the God we can look to and hope in and trust in for the future. Lord, if there's someone here who hasn't trusted in Christ, who does not know the hope of eternal life, the hope of a new heavens and a new earth, Lord, I pray that they would come to know that, they would have that hope, and that they would cling to it. We thank you for the hope that you revealed to us in your son's name.